This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. As a struggling podcaster, I need all the subscribers I can get. On Slap Your Mom. Cut. On Flappy Prawn. Wine. Are you a Nephilim? On Smack. Am I allowed to rap? What if a spaceship came out of the water? On Camp Blurmon. Cut. We'll dub it. Hey, look, we're going to get weird, but this podcast is all about Jesus. Welcome to the Camp Herman podcast. My name is Mike Stibbs. Thank you very much for tuning in. Our guest, Paul Stobbs, has done extensive research into a clown. Yes, a clown Nephilim connection. I found it to be super interesting, and really, you're just going to be thinking clowns after this. Every time you see anything connected to the Nephilim, you're going to think clown. Without further ado, let's roll the intro. What the hell they teach in France anyway? I don't know. I speak French. All right, man. Don't let him get a beat on you. Okay. Yeah. Take his t-shirt gun and make yourself useful. Chip, you look like a clone, but you are not a clone. They dress like something in order to channel that thing and gain something from it for the tribe. Uh, or they wipe the skin up with some kind of chalk or paint. They add red lines or patterns or polka dots to the skin. They put on some kind of red feathered headdress or anything to make the hair look dark or red or some kind of multicolored, um, a huge golden crown with many embellishments all over it is common as well. Um, and they were extremely colorful psychedelic clothing. Now, what I've pretty much described there is a clown by a Western standard, but they all have their own stylistic, aesthetical differences. Legit scientists right now are positing that we live in a simulation. I feel like a lot of stuff is going on in the world that's brought up a lot of these conversations, even in our last couple episodes, just with UAP disclosure and, you know, the Nephilim agenda that we always come back to. The world largely rejects their message and treats them as hostile extraterrestrials who must be stopped at any cost. So Tori, you you heard about Paul off of a podcast you listen to. Which one is that? Yeah, so um, actually my favorite podcast is Tinfoil Hat Show or Tinfoil Hat Podcast with Sam Tripoli. Um, I started following him during COVID because he was one of the only kind of big name guys who was really speaking out about what was happening. And it's been really cool to follow his podcast because it it really starts out pretty new agey, but he's a truth seeker. And um, the last couple of episodes, I mean, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking, he's reading the Bible. He's talking about Genesis 6 and he had Paul on and the episode blew my mind. It's one of my favorites. 
So I'm so excited we get to talk to him. Paul, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Maybe let people know uh, where they can get your YouTube videos and all of that. Um, welcome to the show. Yeah, so I am a YouTuber primarily. You can find all my work on a channel called Understanding Conspiracy. Um, I've been doing it for about 10 years now on YouTube. Um, and I've kind of become known as you just explained for the guy who talks about clowns and their bizarre connection to the Nephilim of the ancient biblical past. Uh, so if you, if you want to find my work, you can find a, a 41 episode a playlist dedicated to this spanning over seven years. Um, and the connections just keep rolling. I'm just in the middle of making the 42nd episode right now. Actually, I'm writing the script for that one as well. And I am currently exploring... Um, the oceanic regions, the archipelago of Indonesia, Thailand, China, Japan, all the way to India, and their Rakshasa demon. So uh, that's that's something coming out very soon. But uh, yeah, that, that's me in a nutshell. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's really super cool. Um, because you kind of heard like when I first saw just the thumbnail of the podcast, you know, I'm like, what the Nephilim look like clowns? This sounds kind of funny to me, you know. Um, but then I heard you talk, I heard you talking. I'm like, oh, this is not, it's, this is not like just, you know, it's speculation to a certain extent, but it's not, it's, it's founded upon like actual deep research, which I found super interesting. I would encourage you all to go listen to his episode on tinfoil hat pod. Cause there's just so much information. And when I saw the thumbnail too, I was like, okay, so I've heard the Nephilim had red hair, um, Beyond that, you know, I wasn't really sure exactly what the connection was going to be, but um, he goes into so much detail. It is so crazy and it's so prolific um, throughout, you know, like the folklore of basically every civilization all the way up to like modern clowns, you know, and um, he gets into, I mean, I've always kind of had this innate fear of clowns. I think a lot of people do like something, something feels off, but like, you know, even getting into Freemasonry and like their whole clown connection. Um, yeah, I guess my first question would just be, what got you into researching this? Um, it spans over a long time, to be honest. I mean, first of all, just to expand on what you said, I know how crazy it sounds. And I know what it sounds like when you first hear the theory, the Nephilim look like clown. Trust me, I do. I did not wake up one day. I never grew up thinking, I'm going to be the guy talking about clowns. That's not that guy. <laughs> I don't really care about clowns, to be honest. I've, I've never been a fan of them. I've never, they've not even been a thought of mine forever. You know, I'm not like an enthusiast or anything. It just kind of happened organically. Um, see, I, I came from the New Age originally, kind of. I wouldn't say I was a heavily, I wasn't like a dream catcher crystal using tarot card reading New Age or anything. I was more of just a psychedelic consciousness explorer type into all the uh, the fractal stuff and the geometry. And a very, very logistical minded about it coming out of an atheistic mindset, that type of guy, more Gnosticism than anything. And I, I saw some things during that time on DMT, you know, and these hard psychedelic drugs, which convinced me there was a, a spirit realm. Um, and this is, we're talking 15 years ago. Here, this is a long time ago. And coming out of that, you know, I started doing more research into the truth of culture. And um, for me, it was the 2012 end of the world stuff that kind of roped me in. And then it's one rabbit hole after another after that. And you end up obviously getting to the biblical truth at the very end of your research, where you finally discovered the final truth of what's really going on. So by the time I had got to that, I'd already been doing my conversion into Christianity and I got heavily demonically attacked and I had some visions of, of these psychedelic creatures on the other side. 
uh, one particular vision of a, an extremely tall black and white fractal jester-like thing with a huge wide grin and big glowing eyes. And I didn't really know what to make of it at the time, but as, as, as time went on and I learned a lot more about the occult and symbolism and how the occult works with symbols, there was this moment in 2016 where everywhere in the Western world, in England, all the way to America, was having this phenomena of people dressing like clowns and scaring people in street corners on the media. And the media was running with it hard. And I noticed that. I took notice of that because I was like, they don't show you anything unless they want you to be seeing it. So what is this about a clown mysteriously appearing? What does this mean exactly? This means something. It's all symbolism to these people. And through just years of of research into a lot of Gary Wayne's work, uh, somebody I've talked with twice on my channel very recently, I just had another discussion with him. Um, I I ascribe to his understanding of the Nephilim that they are the offspring of fallen angels mating with the daughters of Cain. And I don't have to tell your audience about all of that. I'm sure they know everything about that already. So I won't go into details to expound upon that much more, but I'd always thought, what would an offspring of a seraphim, fiery flying serpent monster look like mixed with a human? That would look pretty strange. And that had always been in the back of my mind. And this 2016 clown sighting just sparked something in me. And I thought to myself, demons, clowns, Nephilim, there's something going on here. If demons are Nephilim and demonic clowns are always being shown, what is this thing? So I kind of just did a, prelim- a preliminary sh- search for a, uh, Nephilim clown. And I found a video from somebody who was um, having a laugh at our expense. He wasn't really a conspiracy theorist. He was making fun of conspiracy theorists. And he was talking about the Nephilim and describing what they look like with red hair and white skin and six fingers. And then he comes to this dramatic conclusion at the end of his video, like there's only one explanation. The Nephilim were interdimensional killer clowns from out of space in that over-dramatized history channel type conspiracy voice, you know? And he was making fun of us, but there was something to it that clicked it in my mind then, Nephilim and clowns. So I started my research and like I said, seven years later, it's it just it kept snowballing and going and going and going. And now I'm halfway through writing a book on the subject and I'm doing the podcast circuit. And it's more than obvious to me that what, what the clown truly is, is a a purposefully created symbol that represents the Nephilim used for occult purposes of channeling the spirits from the other side publicly and remaining hidden while doing it. That's basically it. Hey, Paul, if you don't, if you don't mind, I would like to, you said something in there when you kind of just glossed over it, but I'm super, super curious about it. You mentioned you had a DMT experience um, mm-hmm. I myself, I come from the SoCal drug culture um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I've I've done every single drug possible. I used to do LSD and shrooms religiously to have an encounter of some sort. So mm-hmm. I've never done DMT, but I'm 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 curious to hear from you now that you're a Christian and you're able to look back on the DMT experience or is there, is there any takeaways or let's say even revelation that you got from that? Because I could go on and on about, you know, of what I've seen in the past, even though I wasn't saved and sanctified, there's a lot of, you know, a lot is revealed to you 
And I wonder, I just wonder from your standpoint, if you have any takeaways from that. A lot. <laughs> I've speculated about it plenty on my channel, to be honest, because it's those are the type of experiences I don't leave you. You know, you, you think about them for a long time. Um, and obviously, I've tried to make it square up with biblical theology. I've tried to understand it in context to biblical history and what is this place really that we see when we go to these realms on things like dimethyltryptamine or, or salvia divinorum, even another equally as powerful herb, which I, I did when I was 16 years old, not realizing it was an incredibly powerful psychedelic, you know, because it was sold legally in head shops in the UK as mm. though it was like a harmless plant like hashish or something, like it was nothing, you know. And again, like yourself, you know, I was heavily in the microdosing LSD every day, um, taking shrooms ritualistically, doing DMT in a, in a shamanistic attempt to actually make contact with things and to see what was really going on. You know, I was doing it hard, you know, for many years, smoking weed every day for eight years. You know what I mean? I was one of those type of people. And I haven't done, I've been sober now for six years. I don't touch any of that stuff and, and it's all gone now, you know, and I, I don't even drink. And I don't want to, the desire has left me, but back to the, the, what, what I took from the whole experience with all of it really is, um, it's not a special place, the DMT realm. It's not some mystical, magical fifth dimensional out of this world place where you're going. That's better than our place where we are currently in, in physical three dimensional forms. Um, that's kind of the main takeaway people always get from taking DMT, they think they're going somewhere special. They think they're seeing an enlightened place full of enlightened entities that are um, the ascended ones or the great teachers or masters or something along that line. But what I've realized is this is actually just earth. It's just, a, it's here, right here, right now, but it's more like the pipe work behind the walls of reality, the uh, behind the scenes plumbing of how this world works. It's the thing that makes this, what we are living in right now embodied happen. It is this world. Our perception of it is just limited. And I've theorized that maybe this is something that did happen after the flood. Maybe that's what the rainbow could symbolize realistically. And the light spectrum, our vision is the rainbow. That's all we can perceive in terms of the light spectrum. It's a very limited bandwidth. People have talked about this in the scientific community ad nauseum, you know, but I don't think it was a punishment. I think it was a mercy so we will not perceive anymore the things that are currently in that realm because the the Nephilim, when they died, the, the spirit or nefesh, whatever you want to call it, is still here. It can't leave this realm. It can't go up or down or anything. It's still here with us. They never left just because their bodies disappeared. Didn't mean their spirit left. When we die, it's said that we sleep biblically speaking, until the great white, white throne judgments. We're not around communicating with people. We're not spirits wandering the earth that people can summon through Ouija boards or something. The only thing you will contact are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim because that's what resides there. So I believe when you take DMT or these hard, powerful psychedelics, enough of the minor ones as well to break through, as they call it, all you're doing is opening up your perceptions to then visualize the other side of the earth, the other side of the coin, the um, the warp to the woof of the rug, you know. A rug is this beautiful arabesque pattern, but underneath it's an absolute mess where you see all the strings connect to make that pattern on top. That's where you're going. You're going to the the chaotic realm where there are no embodied forms. So it's, it's chaotic. It looks insane. It's fractal in nature. It's moving con continuously. And people are kind of tricked into believing, well, this must be a, an amazing, magical, heavenly place then. But it's not. It's a place where the entities on the other side want a body. That's the end goal. 
we, where we are currently, is God's creation that he intended for us. This is the prize. This is it. This is where they want to be. This is what they will do anything to have a body again to experience. They don't have senses. They hunger continuously, but they can't quench that hunger or thirst. They wander in dry places, as, as it's described by Jesus. You know, th These are suffering there. We're lucky that when we take DMT, we get to come back after 10 minutes. Could you imagine spending an eternity there? You would go insane, perhaps into a form of manic laughter continuously, like a joker or a jester in a sense. You know, you would go insane. And that's their fate. That's where they are. That's what their problem is. And you find people who take salvia. The main side effect is that you start howling with laughter manically and you cannot stop. It's likely that you're channeling a demon of some kind who's in that state and you are now manifesting that state. A lot like in the new Joker film, he has a, that illness where he cannot stop laughing impulsively. I do think there's something, a connection there in some way. People who take DMT regularly always report in these trip reports on the Nexus encountering jesters of some kind or a jester-like looking strange entity. That's because the Nephilim did look like clowns and jesters and that's what they're actually talking to the spirit form of these once giant kings and rulers who aren't stupid, who know you intimately and will tell you anything they want to tell you to deceive you, to make you believe you're special or a god of some kind, to forward the agenda of their parents, the fallen angels who rebelled against God to begin with. These entities are not archetypical projections of the collective unconscious or whatever stupid, naive, Jungian descriptive these people want to give them. They are real, conscious, separate entities with a personality and desires and an agenda. And if you don't know that, you're going into a battlefield unarmed. You, yeah. you are fodder. And that's basically all I took away from the whole thing in the end. And yeah, they know they know us in a completely different way than we know ourselves because they have a, you know, a higher, I guess, perception. Um, and they're, you know, they're smarter. Their IQ is vast. I mean, if we're at like 150, they might be at like 2000 or 3000. They've been around forever. And so, yeah, they, they deceive. And that, that's one thing I've never come back from a trip talking about how Jesus is the only way I always came back from a trip. Like, no, I'm my own God. Like I can control my destiny and I have that power. Um, so very interesting, but um, Tori, I'll let you ask a question, but then this is a great segue to go right into the uh, clown Nephilim because yeah, Joe Rogan talks about it all the time and about how he sees these gestures. It's crazy. Well, Paul, the way that you described, um, you know, the chaos, the chaotic world, like the chaos underneath a tapestry. Um, it kind of makes me think too. It's like we're on, we're on stage, like we're in a play and like, they're just backstage. So like, of course, like they know us and they can talk to us like they know us. Cause like they probably hear and maybe even see like what's going on on the stage. Like they're very familiar, but yeah, but that chaos behind the scenes. Um, yeah, that's so wild to me. And also Mike, to what you said about, um, coming back from a trip, like, Oh, I'm my own God. It's like that same, that same lie over and over, like what happened in the garden. Um, when humanity fell the first time. But um, yeah, so getting into clowns, um, something you had said on your show with Sam that really blew my mind was how 
how the enemy will like use costumes um, to channel demons. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like we're just on the other side of Halloween. And I know that's a big debate amongst Christians too. Like, should we celebrate Halloween? Like, is it innocent? Is it not innocent? You know, but I had never really thought about that dressing like something could be an invitation for them to come um, like into your body. So yeah, if you just want to talk about that a little. Sure. So this is what's known throughout most cultures as a form of ancestor spirit worship. And this is how I've described it. And this is how it's well understood to be in mainly countries um, that have these very old folk traditions on every continent. It's it's kind of the oldest tradition usually. And it's not really, really rooted necessarily in religions. It's rooted in like an old verbal kind of ritual that tribes have done forever, you know. And um, sometimes they get spiritualized by new religions that come along throughout history, you know, and and things get tagged along, but the roots are are pretty much the same. Um, So there's two ways it's done by most of these cultures. Either they dress like something in order to channel that thing and gain something from it for the tribe. Either a shaman is dead, is allocated to do this specifically within a tribe, or it's a free for all and anybody and everybody can all do it at once. It, it really doesn't matter. The end goal is the same. It's to channel the entity and what they often dress like in all these different cultures, as I've shown in my series is they have very, a very similar thread weaving through. And it's usually, uh, they wipe the skin up with some kind of chalk or paint. They add red lines or patterns or polka dots to the skin. They put on some kind of red feathered headdress or anything to make the hair look dark or red or some kind of multicolored, um, a huge golden crown with many embellishments all over it is common as well. Um, and they were extremely colorful psychedelic clothing. Now, what I've pretty much described there is a clown by a Western standard, but they all have their own stylistic, aesthetical differences, culturally relevant to each individual area. So, you know, they're talking about the same creatures they call ancestor spirits, because what they're referring to is not ancestors as we, with the English language, would consider that word to be. That's just kind of our the only word we have for it, but it's not really what they mean. They don't mean grandma or granddad or your great uncles and aunties from the 1800s or something like that. They mean the ancient ones, the ones who built their culture and civilization that go way back, you know, the ones who built everything that they, they consider their worldview or structure, the creators of their reality the Nephilim, the ancient kings and rulers, the only spirits, as I explained earlier, that are actually on the other side for them to channel, the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim from the biblical perspective. But they call them their ancestors. So like I said, they all dress in the same way. Like a clown in some level of, they all have their own levels of doing that. So that's one way of doing it. They, they, They dress like the thing to channel the thing. That is pretty much the most powerful common used way of doing it. Um, One really obvious example, which I think a lot of people know about, is um, the um, Haiti, the Vodou culture in Haiti. They they dress like something called Baron Semedi, and it's um, a particular Iwa or god of their pantheon, the father god or the son of the father god, Papa Legba. And it comes from an ancient African ancestor spirit worship culture, which went over to Haiti and then mixed with like French Catholicism and Freemasonry. So it became this very strange looking ritualistic thing where they specifically dress like like these Iwas to channel them in order to gain strength, power, and fortune. And the the famous image is the cane, top hat wearing, um, skull faced um, man with a cigar and some whiskey. Now they drink 
the whiskey and smoke the cigar because that's what the demon enjoys having. That's their offering to them. And they do it with the sole intention to be possessed by the spirit of Baron Semedi. Um, and they, they're open about it. They tell you that's what we're doing this for. But in a lot of the, quite a lot of cultures, they have this other thing. It's called apo, apotropaic. That's, that's the way you describe this practice. And it's the idea that you can dress like the thing to scare it away or to ward bad spirits off. You dress like them to confuse them or something like that. And the video I'm making currently goes into this heavily and shows a lot of these Eastern cultures who believe that they're doing this to scare away the spirits. I contend that's just stupid. That does not make any sense. Dressing like a, a demon in the physical realm is not going to scare away a demon in the physical realm. Give them some credit. They're not that stupid. Like we said earlier, they are thousands of years old. <laughs> you know, I do think there's a bit of a long con going on here. I think this is the idea that if we can convince these cultures that they have any form of control over us, then it keeps them thinking they have a level of power. Therefore, we can stick around, you know, and we'll pretend to be scared away. So then they can keep dressing like us and keep those channels open. You know, I think that's really what's going on. And I've, I've had a few messages where people are from these cultures are getting offended at me saying these things. And it's not like I'm, I'm not trying to cause offense by saying this, you know, but it just seems like obvious from my opinion, from my perspective, and my research, because there are plenty of these other cultures who do dress like demons with the sole purpose to be possessed by them. They're not scaring anything away. So why would it suddenly scare them away in, just in a different culture when they're all representing in their dress the exact same creatures? Because you can see the aesthetical similarities across all of them. Um, so getting back to the modern Western clown, you'll find that um, this comes out of a, a, a long tradition of performing clowns known as the Camille de l'Art movement that came out of Italy. Now, this performing troupe through the, the Middle Ages up into the 1600s when it became popularized again, when theatre was allowed during that Renaissance period and that revival of artistry, you'll find they had these stock characters and one of them was called Harlequin. Harlequin was picked up through the medieval period and added as a stock character by the 16th century um, because it represented the wild man of Europe. That's where they picked it up because they were traveling from every country in Europe out of Italy and they discovered... They all have this ancient ancestor worship tradition where they dress up like a huge, hairy animal monster thing with sharp teeth and a huge club. <laughs> That's their version of ancestor spirit worship, of channeling or warding away the demons. You know, That's their version. So they incorporated Harlequin based off the French version of the wild man called Helikins, and they added it into their troop. And that's where we get Harlequin, the first proto-clownish demonic character. And then that through the 1700s to the 1800s, it progressed into the UK and it became a part of the theatre of the United Kingdom through pantomime. And then through the pantomime, you had the British clown, which was very different from the, the French clown, the Poirot, the basic white garbed, black pom-poms, very sad figure. Um, it was the, the British clown was more loutish and loud and like a bit of a drunk, a bit of a fool, a, a clodhopper, you know, falling over all the time. Um, the, the comedy came from him being foolish and silly. And by this point, Harlequin wasn't what he used to be. Harlequin used to be that character who was foolish and silly and evil and vicious and tricking people and being mischievous, you know. But by this point, he was kind of a boring character who was just always chasing after this woman called Columbine. So there was a void. The demon character needed to come back and clown 
took that place in the British pantomime. So there was a role switch. So Clown embodies the character of the original Harlequin, who is based off of the wild man tradition of Europe, the ancestor spirit worship tradition who venerate the Nephilim. So in a historical sense, he is literally a representation of a demon. Like that that's just goes without me saying that's what he embodies in the way he acts. And that's who he's based off of historically throughout Europe. But there was a costume change done in the 1800s by a shady family called the Dibdins. So Charles Dibdin was a renowned member of the Leicester Lodge, number 2426 or something like that. He was actually a very famous musician of that time period. He was kind of one of the most famous media moguls of the time. He wrote so many plays and songs, which were sung by the British sailors in the military. He kind of was equated with being the most important musician of the time because he kept the morale up for the wartime sailors and they sang his songs on the boats. And he kind of was equated with being a brilliant man who helped bring our country to victory type of person, you know. But he had a son by the same name called Charles Dibdin Jr. Um, and he headed up the Sadler's Wells Theatre of that time, who was where the clown and this whole performance was happening. And he kind of hijacked the show. He came in and he said, you know, I'm going to change everything. And this has never been done before, by the way. This is a brand new thing in the 1800s. You know, for hundreds of years, the characters have dressed the same. They've always done the same things. Nothing's changed for, for centuries. But this son of a Freemason comes along and says, now nah, I'm going to change all the costumes. And he basically changes the way the clown dresses, which used to be a boring, white, plain, nothing servant rag, into this psychedelic, monstrous-looking, fractal, multicolored thing with the crazy wigs. And it was such a bizarre change. There was no reason to do that necessarily. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a huge jump from boring, plain servant rags to extremely psychedelic, monstrous-looking clown imagery with polka dots everywhere. It was just, where was this inspiration coming from? And you'll find, you know, he did a lot of traveling around India for a long time in the in that area and so did his father you know and you know the freemasons are traveling men they know they that's what they do they travel around and they pick up a thing or two and establish their lodges all over the place and i think they would have witnessed a lot of this ancestor spirit worship in the indic regions in indonesia let's say and i think that's where he got the inspiration for his costumes because if you if you look at the demons and their representations all throughout that region they look identical to the very first clown costumes they're wearing the same ritualistic garb and the similar face makeup. So it seems like this son of a Freemason inserted into the most popular artistic form of that time, the theater, a demon on stage to be venerated. And from that day, uh, that, that image of a clown was picked up by everyone else. It became the standard and the demon was inserted into the media that day through an idol known as Joseph Grimaldi who performed the clown brilliantly people loved his character they were obsessed with him he was a rock star of the day and he was constantly dressed like a demon and people idolized him so people other clowns who wanted to be clowns mimicked his dress and the way he looked he's often equated with being the father of modern clowns the guy who invented the clown he wasn't though no. he, he was just a patsy used to don the costume designed by a f son of a freemason who <laughs> mimicked it from these ancestor spirit cult worshippers in the east and he just brought it onto the stage so it can be traced historically but it's not talked about i've kind of uncovered all this you know and i'm trying to show historically something dodgy happened at this time period there was no reason to change the costumes it was well established for hundreds people say he was trying to make his mark on the scene to establish himself in the in the world of theater as somebody to take seriously or something but 
No, it's it's too obvious because there's a particular demon in uh, Bali called the Kalasungsang. And this is called the, that translates to upside down demon. And it's always depicted doing a handstand with its head turned up, looking directly at the person. Basically, like his head is the crotch, basically staring at you with his feet in the air. And you find that a lot of artwork was made of Grimaldi wearing the clown costume, drawing some paintings of him in the exact same position, showing the exact same expression, looking the exact same way. So I think it was a literal takeaway from Bali culture specifically, actually, just south of Indonesia, one of the islands there. And if you look at all the masks in that region of the the demon masks, they look just like clowns with white faces, big red lips, but they have fangs sticking out, strange patterns on the face. You know, you can see, you can trace it exactly where they came from. Um, and since that day, you know, from then on, circuses became a thing. The clown was adopted into the circus and you find that all the modern circus, the original circuses, sorry, were created by Freemasons, uh, the Ringling Brothers and the um, P.T. Barnum and Bailey. You know, they they were all Freemasons. All the brothers were Freemasons and they even combined together to do a show together called The Greatest Show on Earth, you know. And it was um, called King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Now, Freemasons are obsessed with King Solomon. They're obsessed with him. They want to keep building his temple, you know. They want to rebuild Solomon's temple in every way, shape, or form. A lot of the rituals revolve around him. They consider him uh, maybe one of the first master masons, but it also goes all the way back to Nimrod as well. He was considered one of the first original masons. And it's it's very strange, but the two pillars, Yakin and Boaz, are associated with um, King Solomon's temple. And Yakin and Boaz, the two pillars, are said to be the pillars that survived after the flood. Gary Wayne talks about this. They were the pillars that had the knowledge um, which corrupted mankind, inscribed on them in language, in hieroglyphs, created by Enoch the Bad from Cain's lineage. And it's just that's all secret societies have to link back to this ancient antediluvian serpent worship, veneration of fallen angels and Nephilim gods, you know. And these Freemasons who have this background and this belief and veneration of demons created something called a circus. Well, if you look at a circus, it's just an analogy for a Freemason ritual. It's um, you have the ringmaster with the top hat within a lodge, the ringmaster, the grand worshipful master of the lodge, the leader of the rituals is the only one allowed to wear a black top hat, just like the ringleader in a circus. The ringleader orchestrates the clowns. Well, the uh, the grand worshipful master in a lodge orchestrates the ritual, which venerates and worships and channels demons. It's the same analogy, you know, but they've just transferred it into a huge grand spectacle and gets the public involved in the ritual. Yeah. And circuses were a big deal back then. If the circus came to town, you went. What else were you going to do? There was no TV or any of this. You would go. You know, everyone else is going. And the circus itself is kind of like a, you know, a psychedelic place, you know, full of fractal patterns and designs and spinning light wheels and carousels and all this, and just flashing lights everywhere. I think it is a tongue-in-cheek representation of this DMT realm where the clowns reside, where the jesters reside, where the demons are. They're trying to create physical representations of spiritual concepts because that opens up channels. It opens up portals. It gives the demons the ability to manifest here physically through the channels that are created who wear the costume or, you know, in a sense, could the, in a sense, create an environment, an entire environment, like a circus, which would then manifest that spiritual concept into the physical and, and allow more channels to be open. It seems like that's what was going on. Gosh, today, you know, today. so much there. 
Yeah. Today, circuses are old news. They're old fashioned. They don't really happen anymore. Um, we have TV now. The clowns are on television. The clowns are singing to us in the charts. You know, <laughs> all the famous people dress like clowns, or they at least red the hair up, white the skin up, put bright red lipstick on or some kind of crazy multicolored clothing on or something because they are doing the same thing. They are channeling. They yeah. are. Wait, Lady Gaga. On. That's Lady Gaga. Sorry. It's a lot I'm of- thinking of Britney <laughs> Spears, her song Circus, you know, and um, I think there's something too, like for magic rituals to happen, like you have to have an audience. I don't really know about the bylaws of magic, but I think there's something to that. But um Paul, I wanted to ask you, because we're talking about like the westernized clown, like Christopher Nolan's Joker had a huge impact on our culture, you know, and you know what happened with Heath Ledger and everything. Um, Do you think it's possible? I know people talk about like his death was like a direct result of his role as the Joker. Um, Do you think that he possibly was like channeling something by dressing up and acting like the Joker? I think so. I think I think the, the issue is we are quite ignorant in the modern Western world of what it means to dress like something. We don't think there's consequences to doing such things. And it's possible, you know, Heath Ledger didn't know there'd be consequences. He probably didn't know anything about this. Um, but he was, you know, he was, he was considered one of the greatest actors of all time after his death due to playing this role. You know, I think the veneration of the clown has always been there in the media. And if you dress like a clown, you will end up channeling or being an open vessel for demons and will be a heavily demonized individual. And he, he discussed having issues like that during the process before obviously dying. Um, the, when I think, I think, he, I think it's, oh, yeah, but go ahead. Sorry. Well, he like had to take um, what, like a bunch of sleeping pills because like he couldn't sleep because he was so disturbed by the role. So, it's, I mean, to me that, you know, that sounds like, yeah, the role, but I don't know, like what else was disturbing him, you know, like. Yeah, well, I said, like I said, there are detrimental consequences to how you choose to dress. Okay, you have to be careful about it. Being ignorant of, of the rule of spiritualism doesn't make you immune to it somehow, you know? And like I said, I think he was a, a victim. Some people play into it and want to channel them and purposefully dress like them to gain power and strength and, you know, and be a part of that. I think there's a lot of talentless people who do it who end up becoming talented because they're channeling demons and you'll find they often have this channel and they dress in this insane way you know a psychedelic fractal monster demon looking thing um and i think if that's not happening simply dress that way and be an up-and-coming musician and you will get picked up and put in the spotlight because you have the right aesthetic the idea is to get other people to idolize this image to copy it the more people they can get dressing in this way just like their idols do or just like those people think well if i want to be famous i need to dress like these famous people so i will mimic them and add more to the to the people dressing like clowns aesthetic and culture then that's more channels for the demons to open so it's it is a hand-in-hand agenda in a sense you know and who runs the music industry but the illuminati as they say these people are a part of these ancient nephilim worshiping serpent cults you know from the antediluvian age up until now uh, it's it's no joke to dress like a clown. And like I said, Heath Ledger is just a, a, a cautionary tale, really. I mean, people say it's method acting. You know, they're embodying the role holistically outside of acting on the screen. And that sounds mm-hmm. to me like demonic possession, just a fancy mm-hmm. way of describing it, you know. Yeah, like channeling yeah. something, channeling somebody. Um, Absolutely. Well, you, yeah. know, you know, if you look at, if you just look at the specific role of the Joker, right? So Jared Leto 
took up the Joker after, you know, 10 years after Heath Ledger did, but he was doing some demonic stuff to his, to his cast members during the filming of, uh, what was it? The, uh, suicide squad where he was, he would literally like leave a jar of pee in front of the actor's trailer and do all these kind of crazy pranks saying that he was trying to get into the character. And then you look at Joaquin Phoenix, who picked up the role of the Joker and completely just nails it, you know, and kind of nails the anxiety ridden you know, part of our culture and that part within us, there's, there's, there's definitely now that you're pointing this out to us, Paul, it's definitely a very, very clear connection. And I just want to add before I let you go again, we had, um, I was going to a church a couple years ago and there was a guy that was insistent to the pastor that he wanted to dress up like a pantomime and do his pantomime stuff in the corner while the worship team was going. Pastor said, okay, fine, go ahead and do it. This is after like a month of the guy just insisting, this my form of worship. I want to be able to worship. But there was a couple that went to our church that was from Africa. They walked in, saw him doing that, and they said, no, he's worshiping demons. That's what they did in our country to worship demons and to bring them in. You've got to have them stop. And so eventually the pastor did tell him just to stop for the sake of this couple because they couldn't get past it because it was a part of their culture. Very, very interesting connections, Paul. No, absolutely. In Africa, ancestor spirit worship is the norm. It's this the norm that it's it's all across the continent and Africa's huge. You know, it has a lot of people, but they all have the exact same practice. They're dressed like these incredibly psychedelic looking monsters in order to channel them and to be possessed by them, to gain strength from them. You have to understand in these cultures and these practices where Christianity isn't the dominant norm or, or thought process, the demons kind of have free reign. They have the ability to openly be out and worshipped and venerated and to possess people openly and and let other people of the tribe witness the possessed person be cut and healed instantly or to go through extreme pain or be stabbed and survive and all these powers that the demon would give the and the people are all around they're doing tribalistic drumming and music and whistling and howling to the whole energy of the situation loving it and the demon loves it too and they don't have to hide in these cultures in the West, they have to remain hidden and occulted because we are kind of a bit more Christianized and more clued in to Jesus and his ability to cast demons out. You know, So they have to kind of use the symbol of a clown to remain hidden. Because what is a clown to us, but just something harmless for the kids? You know, I'm sure that pastor probably thought, it's just a clown, it's just silly, whatever, let him do what he wants to do. It's not a big deal. But then somebody from these ancestor spirit cultures, who, I, like I said, they dress in a way very similar to how a Western clown looks, and all cultures do because they all venerate the same creatures, the Nephilim. That's the only thing on the other side. They all look the same, you know, and they come into this and witness that. Of course, they're going to say, I left my country to get away from this. The more I'm thinking about it, though, is this dude he wanted to to be in front of people dancing mm. in his pantomime his mime makeup 
while the worship team is worshiping. And it just makes me think like it was like, I mean, the dude, I'm telling you, like I knew him, he was not right in the head. And it's just it it you're making these connections for me that he was like wanting to almost take on this worship, you know, like, I mean, I've I've played in a worship band, you know, many, many years, and there's no way we're going to let anybody just dance and do their thing. You know what I'm saying? Arbitrarily. Now, if you're a part of the audience, but you're not coming on and being a part of the band to dress up like a clown and dance unless we feel that it's Holy Spirit led. So just very, very interesting connections. So, Paul, we've only got about about 10 more minutes here with you. Um yeah. So give us, give us, you know, I, I know you've, you've made so many brilliant connections um, to the clown appearance and how that's all connected. Um, give us, give us a little bit more, give us, give us the, the new, the new stuff that you've, that you've got going on that, that, that you're going to be dropping soon and and blow our mind again. Cause you've really blown my mind and that happens uh, just to be honest. I mean, it, it, I'm, I am being arrogant here, but my mind's not blown very much, but you've blown my mind here. Mine too. Okay, well, I've actually discussed the new stuff that's coming out soon at the start. It's about the the exploration, again, of the the eastern Indic regions, the oceanic regions. I've already talked about um, Papua New Guinea and their particular cannibalistic tribes who still practice cannibalism, and they venerate this this ancestor spirit where they wipe their skin up, put on red a big red headdress full of reeds, you know, and they already... But just east of them are all these other archipelagos that kind of have more Indian Hindu inspired visage of demons. And it's kind of the same theme throughout the whole thing. But uh, like I said, the, the, the latest discovery is that Joseph Grimaldi's outfit seems to be a direct copy of one specific demon called the upside down demon from Bali. Now you think about the concept of that anyway, what is a clown, but a, a somebody who does things counter to the, to the cultural norm, the opposite of everything, you know, the, being the upside down creature is kind of what the clown embodies. If you go to the Americas, they have the Hayoka tribe, for example, um, the, I think it's, and the Pueblo tribe have their own version of this, which looks identical, which is a black and white fractal thing with weird antennas, big red lips, you know, and the clown is supposed to be a cultural contrarian. It's a holy symbol in their culture. And it represents, funnily enough, a direct copy of a thunder god that's supposed to be what it's meant to be. Um, And on the earth, they wear big, silly, big, long red shoes like a clown. And they do silly things in the tribe. They walk backwards, for example. You know what I mean? They, they, They just do anything they can to prod at the cultural norms of their tribe to remind them to not take life too seriously, in a sense, which is kind of what the jesters always say to Joe Rogan whenever he does his trips. Yeah, (laughs) why so serious? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, But in terms of like new, that's the newest revelation that I think I've pinpointed exactly where that costume has come from. It's come straight from Bali, specifically the down demon. I would say that. So so let's let, let me ask you like an applicable question here that, okay, so so here we are in in you know in America the western world where we're super sophisticated and we know all we know all the knowledge per se right but yet we're letting a lot of this stuff you know be hidden in plain sight what and and I know you kind of hit on it a little bit more but what can the possible consequence be if you are celebrating stuff like this you know even if you are a christian and you're you're going to a mega church and 
they have some sort of festival with clowns and whatever Halloween. Is there, in your opinion, and in your research that you found, is there is there a consequence? And what is that consequence? And can we, uh, I guess, usurp that consequence if we if we gain the knowledge that we're doing something that's offending God? This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, I think, obviously, we have grace through faith, and there is forgiveness. So it's not if you're doing it ignorantly, then of course you're not going to probably get punished drastically. But there are consequences for doing it again. Being ignorant of the spiritual law doesn't make you immune to it. Um, you're probably going to, I wouldn't say Christians can be possessed because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, but you can certainly be oppressed and tempted and manipulated and things can happen around you, you know, if you keep those channels open. So we're always, once you know about it, I would say maybe if you dress like a clown regularly and you're a Christian, maybe try and stop doing that. It's all I can probably say. But for example, you know, it, it can lead to death and insanity if you constantly channel a Nephilim from the other side in the visage of a clown. Heath Ledger is a good example, you know. Um, but there are consequences for this. There are serious spiritual consequences and death is the end result if you take it too far. I mean, I'm, I'm worried because, um, just this year in 2023 clown fashion is actually being pushed on us through the mainstream media. Now on the runways, you can type it in clown core 2023 and you'll find an L article showing runway models at the highest end fashion shows in Europe walking down the the catwalk wearing harlequin outfits and clown aesthetics now what comes downwind of these insane costumes on the catwalk is a watered down version into the outlets where we buy our clothes from but they are pushing clown fashion as the hot new trend of 2023 onto the general population so there are consequences for for dressing like a clown like i said and it's dangerous what i would say something really not politically correct I mean, (laughs) we aren't on our show. I don't know what your audience is like. So, Um, man, just like the cultural, like upside down thing. Like what about in 2023, the the proliferation in the media of like drag queens? Yeah, no. Well, yeah, I I call them the multicolored collective to get rid of the... uh, The multicolored collective. (laughs) To try and get get past the algorithm because this is the thing with the multicolored collective. They're a vast community of different competing factions who often eat each other alive over the oppression Olympics situation, you know, but they all have you noticed that they seem to have a similar aesthetic, extremely Mm -hmm. colorful, dehumanizing clothing and ideologies about mutilating one's body with piercings and bright tattoos shaving the hair bright multicolored hair a lot like a clown extreme makeup you know extreme top exaggerated makeup i mean if you (laughs) what is a drag queen but a clown when you actually look at it you know what i mean and don't forget these things were venerated as 
gods among men originally, these hermaphroditic, strange-looking, clownish monster creatures, you know, mm-hmm. that are half divine, half human. Well, I think if if you have someone like a drag queen who's an untouchable in our society today, venerated and glorified on the stage as the pinnacle of, of beauty and amazement, even though that's absolutely yes. nonsense, and the, the demon within them is being channeled, and the demon's going to yeah. love that veneration once more. And there's definitely totally. a connection. Untouchable, right? Not in the biblical sense of like untouchable, you're outside the untouchable, like no one can say anything about you. You're, yeah. Um, Right. You know, and like, and it's happening in like high schools all over. And like, I live in the Midwest and, you know, well, in the United States, the Midwest is very like homegrown, whatever. But like, there's even now like trans, like homecoming queens and stuff is becoming like a very normal thing because like who could not vote for, you know, um, yeah and i just wonder like what are these people channeling and like whether or not they mean to whether or not they just think it's like a fun expression or whatever it's like you just do see um like certain crimes and stuff following like that group of people right like crimes against children and stuff and it's just like what are we doing (laughs) it's always always the children i mean first of all the shriners for example who are a level above freemasonry all have a clown sect and they claim they're doing it to help the sick dying children in the shriner run hospitals where they dress like clowns to go and entertain the sick dying children but think right. about you know dying children in the last moments of life see a clown kids do not like clowns i'm sorry the studies no. have been done. they're actually terrified of them it's maybe like one in a hundred who likes clowns they're yeah. an outlier not the norm and why the hell we associate clowns with with children is beyond birthdays me. Yeah, yeah you know and what about and and again like the i don't remember what you called them but the the alphabet community um you know or like drag queens going and reading to children and like protesting about how this is like a right it's like why don't you go read to like the elderly or like well, you know like i feel like you don't see that happening No, they're trying to influence the mind of the young, absolutely. Um, I mean, what reaction do you get from a clown if not extreme fear or extreme laughter? I do think that the energy produced by those things is is a kind of food to these demons. I don't want to get too new agey about that. And, you know, Lush is a thing people talk about where demonic feed off the negative energy of people or something. I mean, Monsters, Inc. is literally about that interdimensional monsters feeding off the screams of children. And then at the end, they use laughter. They use laughter energy instead, you know, and I think that's a tongue-in-cheek reference to mm-hmm. the way these things work and why they use children, because children will give you the extremes, the extreme mm-hmm. reactions, you know, it's either intense fear or extreme laughter, it's one or the yeah. two. And if you are embodying a demon by dressing like one, like the Shriners do, and you go to a child and elicit such a reaction, then if you are channeling a demon, that demon within you will feed off the energy of that child right in front of you, you know, because you're making that reaction happen. Yeah. So I think uh, these hospitals are kind of like loose farms for clown de- for demons to channel through the, the, the vessels wearing the costume, which are the Shriners who are an offshoot of Freemasonry who worship the demons. So they're working hand in hand and they do it publicly. They can do it publicly, dress like a clown, and people think it's harmless and innocent. It's not. It's a It's a tool. It's an occult yeah. tool. So crazy. I feel like I just need to start wearing a potato sack. Like, <laughs> like well, there's nothing know, going on here. No one's, yeah. Well, you know, it's it, it's so it's it's so interesting because it is our 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 entire global culture is embedded with occult stuff. I mean, that's where our culture comes from, the occult. It just mm-hmm. does. And once once you do, you get the scales falling off your eyes and you start seeing that, you know, you do, You, I, I believe as a Christian, you are able to walk 
um, in more love and in more power, not because you have information that other people don't have, but you're seeing the line being blurred and you can understand what the demonic realm wants and what they want, you know, as Paul says, is they want to inhabit you and then they want to kill you and they want to go on to another person. That's the whole, whole end game of them. And at the, at the core of all of this is what I'm hearing is, is look at me, worship what's in me. I'm going to, you know, call people to myself, whether you're LGBTQ plus you're doing it as a clown, you're, you're wanting, you're wanting the attention on you. And like you said at the end there to, to, to feed off of that. And that's not what Christ tells us to do. He says to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. It's not about us. It's about him. And these demons, they, they want that admiration coming from us. I think they miss it. You know, they, they miss it okay. from, you know, the, the old days, but Paul, we're, we're running out of time here. We absolutely are going to have you back on. Um, and we're going to have Chris, our other co-host on, and we're going to pick your brain a lot more. We'll go into more detail, but dude, you blew my mind. I just really thank you, uh, for the work that you've done. Um, you've outlined it here brilliantly. I see the connections super clear. Tori? Yeah, I'm same. Mine is completely blown. Thank you so much. And guys, if you're listening, please go check out his YouTube channel. Again, listen to his episode on Tinfoil Hot Pod. Um, yeah. I'd yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll link all that up. But yeah, Paul represents you the the fringe Christian on that secular show very very well. He blows their mind, and they have these revelations where they're like, "Whoa!" And when you hear someone who doesn't have Christ being preached the gospel not from Calvary Chapel type of point of view, but from the Gary Wayne fringe Christian point of view. These are these are revelations happening. Something is happening uh, with Christianity, with understanding these origins. And I love it. I'm obsessed with it. We're not stopping here. We got it. We got to keep pulling on this thread, Tori. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool, cool. Came down to top vanity, brought the proliferation of humanity. A fallen sons of the most high God took advantage of the planet he made, forming a holy alliance of evil and look at the daughters of Adam in vain. Then the flood rain came to restore his creational order to how he arranged. Put the disembodied spirits of the giants still want a war, still want to kill in the court. see the blood of the innocent spill on the floor. That's the demoniac and the kind of issue with combined the healer restores. Image bearers in his second chance when he coming back, cause he bringing a sword. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah. Welcome to Camp Herman. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah. Welcome to Camp Herman.